They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are Monsters Out of the Closet. I'm Nicole. I'm Tara. And I'm Shreya. To see the apparition of a long-dead person is frightening enough. But what if the specter you see is that of someone still living? Or worse, what if it's you? From the ancient Egyptian Ka to the modern archetype of the evil twin, cultures around the world tell of dark duplicates of the living. But today we know it by its most infamous name. The doppelganger of a living person is an omen of death. What meaning could yours bring? Welcome to our Halloween double feature. Some say that the doppelganger is just another harmless side of the self. But is it merely another facet of your soul? Or something much worse, a darker half? In our first piece, a grandmother's warning to her grandson takes on a life of its own, and he finds himself haunted by the other little boy. This piece features Max George as Luke, Casey Lucas as Granny, VXN as Dad, Lindsay Holt as Janelle, and Nicole Kalan as Adriana. When I was a little boy, Granny would tell me about the other little boy who might take my place if I did not behave. At first, I thought it was a thing that Southern Grannies would tell their young to snap them into shape. She'd never threaten to spank me or put me in time out. No, Granny was not that type. Instead, she'd tell me about him. The other me that would come if I did not behave to replace me. You know, Luke, if you don't eat all of your supper when I ask, the other little boy might come and eat it. Then you wouldn't have anything to eat. You'd go to bed hungry. She said this once on a steaming July evening long ago when I was six. We sat on the front porch, snapping green beans from her garden and listening to the cicadas harmonizing and preparing for their nightly symphony from the azalea bushes in the yard. The sun beat against my forehead, and I was sweating something awful. The oppressive heat was such that no rational being could stay out in it for too long. I wanted to move, but Granny told me to stay in the rocker right next to her. So I did, and we snapped peas. I don't want catfish, though, Granny. He'll come, then. (laughs) She sniffed, tossing another bean into her bowl. The other little boy will come and eat all your dinner, and if you're not careful, he might just take your place, Luke. Luke wasn't my real name. My mother was a Flores, and my father a Macmillan. They married, and then were both Macmillan. My mother wanted to name me after her own dad, but my father's family protested. They wanted me named James. My mother fought back and won. So, I was born Luciano James Macmillan. My dad's family called me Luke instead. That's what stuck. My mother gave up trying to call me Luciano, or even Lucian for short. So I never really heard the name growing up. 
I knew my real name was Luciano, in the same way that I knew volcanoes existed, or that New York was a place only in the abstract, and never in any practical sense. The few times I had tried to assert my full name, my teachers or friends or classmates would tell me that I should stick with Luke. My skin was too light to be Luciano, they said. I did not embrace Luke so much as accepted. Granny, I'm hot. Builds character. Men work the fields and farms. You'll take this place one day and work the farm. I had no desire to work any damned farm. As even as six, I knew that much. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to be, but a farmer in Hayworth, Louisiana was not it. Let me guess, I said. If I don't, the other little boy will take my place on the farm instead. That's right. We finished in silence. At around five, the four o'clock bushes bloomed nature takes its time in Hayworth and filled the air with the fragrance of the yellow, pink, and white blossoms. Crickets joined the cicadas and a bird called in the distance. And at that moment in time, with just me and Granny and nobody else, I thought maybe I could be happy if things were just as they had always been. If I behaved and did as I was told and acted as a right little boy should, then the other little boy would stay away. I didn't actually believe her back then, but maybe I should have. Silence at first, just outside the bedroom door. Then, I heard the pitter-patter of small feet on the painted wooden floors in the hallway beyond. I sat up and looked to the door, which was next to the bed. I couldn't see out into the hallway. Granny and Pappy slept at the other end of this old house. I couldn't even hear their snoring. But the old wood buckled under some weight, and I froze daring not to breathe. The small night light in the corner of the room did nothing to ease my worry. If I crawled to the edge of the bed and looked back, I might be able to see out of the open door. Part of me wanted desperately to see what was out there, and the other part wanted to scream. Pitter. Patter. The sound of bare skin on polished wood. I knew it well. Something like a nail traced the wall outside in the hall, right about where my bed was on this side of it, right behind me. It was right behind me, and I couldn't breathe. My grandmother had an old full-length mirror that was freestanding. It wasn't storage. By storage, I mean it was in my room where they put things they didn't need but didn't want to part with. The mirror faced the open door. Step and step, scrape and sigh. Something wrapped the wall and I shook. I dared not move because if I did, it would know and it would come. The old house sighed and groaned every night, but this was different. I'm, I'm telling you it was different. Tiny hands and feet stepped and scraped, and small lungs exhaled, and the air grew stale and cold, and whatever it wanted me, 
and wanted me perhaps to be me? It was, after all, my size. I was the only child here, just me and something else that was not me. I looked at the mirror. In its reflection, the hall beyond the door held darkness, yet something palpably darker writhed and pulsed within its depths. I screamed. don't want to play. That's why. We sat around the dining room table at Granny's. Happy had died just a year ago, and his one wish was that I grow up to be a strong Macmillan man. This involved playing football for my junior high team. Now that I was in the seventh grade, it was high time Granny and the whole Macmillan family agreed that I do the things I was meant to do. I don't understand why you don't want to play. It's a good sport. James, pass the potatoes, please. Dad passed Granny her mashed potatoes, and she dumped a heap onto her plate. I nibbled a piece of fried perch and considered eating the tail whole. I considered the collard greens and cornbread. Essentially, I considered everything on my plate so I could ignore Granny's pleas that I play a sport I had no interest in. He was good last year. He showed promise. Well, there you go. Only because I had to, I answered. I don't want to play football. Though, I wanna... You... wanna what? I shrugged. I... I want to be in art class. You can be in art class. And you can play football. No reason you can't do both. And there will be girls on the cheerleading squad. My face burned. I didn't give a hoot or a holler about girls, not in the way Granny and Dad wanted me to. Casimir was my best friend at Brain Junior, though I had stopped talking about her at home because my dad always wanted me to ask her out, and I had no desire to. I don't know why they just couldn't just leave it be. I don't want to. Ah, uh, well... Guess I'll have to tell Pappy that on my next trip to the church. Granny said, poking a few collards around her plate. He really wanted you to play like he did. You know, the other little boy might try out for the team. And then... Mom, he's a little old for that story. Besides, it gave him nightmares when he was younger. If he doesn't want to play, I won't make him. I think Luke just needs to give it a try. I don't want to, I said with more force. I want to join the art club and learn to paint better. Well... That's all she said. Dinner continued quietly, and my father shot me a look. After, I helped Granny clear the table. With a stack of plates in my hand, I walked to the kitchen sink and gently placed them on the right side. It was still light out, and I looked out the window into Granny's rose garden. He stood there. I gasped covered my mouth and blinked and then he was gone but i swear he was there no really he was there i am not making this up even though it was just for a damn second i saw the other little boy i knew it i knew it couldn't be anyone else granny had no neighbors for miles the ghastly thing about it though was his appearance other than the fact that he was gaunt and pale he looked exactly 
And I mean precisely. Like me. I thought no more of him for another year or so, but the more I grew, the more I let myself be molded and shaped by my family. I did end up playing football for a year in 8th grade, and I dropped out of art class, despite it being the only reprieve from junior high monotony. And all throughout junior high, I felt him. I never saw him, but I felt his presence. It lingered like a shadow on the edge of my vision, and just beyond my reach. Sometimes I'd walk alone through the forest outside of Hayworth and get into the deepest part of the woods and suddenly feel like I wasn't alone. Sometimes I would be in bed and I'd wake up and something would be in the corner of my room, but I'd move and the thing would become my jacket or a hat or a stack of books or whatever. It was always just out of my vision. By the time I hit freshman year of high school, I was utterly convinced that the other little boy now perhaps, no longer little, was something real. It haunted me, but rarely. Most of the time I thought that it was just something I had imagined. It got to the point where I questioned whether I was being rational or whether I was making it all up in my head. I pushed him away and fought to suppress other things, like my growing affection for my friend Julian. I pushed away everything that Granny and Dad and everyone else had told me I ought to push away. The more I did, the more he came. The more I denied his existence, the darker I felt. By the time I was a senior in high school, I knew he was real. Even when I knew rationally that I was alone, that I wasn't being followed, or that I was safe, a yellow malaise followed me. It was a malignancy that ebbed and flowed. Sometimes it was barely perceptible, and sometimes it bore into me like a needle driven slowly under my fingernails, reaching into my bones and aching, aching to destroy me. Once, and only once during those years, did he come to me, and it nearly drove me out of my mind. Just a week before graduation, I was at church. Mine was a large, old church, and the men's bathroom nearest the sanctuary was in the basement. The tiny wooden door led down narrow, dimly lit stairs around a corner and to a urinal and a single stall. I was hanging out with some friends after a youth group one Sunday, and I had to use the bathroom. So I excused myself and went down the precarious steps to relieve myself. After washing my hands, I leaned against the white porcelain and stared at myself in the mirror. Somewhere in there, the boy I'd once been stared back at me. He was so deeply buried, though, and I hardly recognized him and certainly didn't know the face staring at me. He looked like me, but wasn't me. I sighed. The door opened above. I knew it was him because I could sense it. The heat in the room, what little there was, drew in on itself and the cold leached into my skin. I was sure he would come closer. Every time, he did. Steps paused, tentative, before the last several steps. All was silent. I could only hear the blood rushing through my head. I grabbed the sink for balance. Pale hand with dark nails stretched around the corner, and 
finger by finger gripped the edge of the wall. The fingers were spider legs paler than bone and the jagged nails were in asphyxiated blue. They scratched at the beige paint coating the brick wall. What do you want? I meant to ask it with force, but it came out a whisper. Indiscernible malignants replied, like gravel. You. What are you? You. No. I shouted the word and then screamed. The hand flinched and withdrew. Leave me alone. You've stuck me my whole life. Go away. The hand withdrew and I stayed in place for several minutes. I sensed I was alone after the door above swung open and shut, but dared not move an inch. My friends found me, waiting down in the basement bathroom, babbling about the other little boy, and that was the last time any of them spoke to me with anything more than passing civility. You can tell me, Luke. No, really, I can't. She placed a hand on mine. Hers were warm, and I knew she meant well. But for the past several weeks, I had seen shadows and the lights and creatures in every depth, behind every tree, and between every building on campus. It started last summer, but now it happened on almost a daily basis. Janelle looked concerned, but I didn't want her pity. You look sick. It's gotten worse over the past few months. Because it's coming back. I think maybe you should ease up on the work. I know you thrive on taking loads of hours, but you really need to stop pushing yourself. Janelle, it's not that. I have it all mapped out. I know. She sat back, clearly frustrated. She could always sense when things were off of me, and I loved and hated that about her. We were on the cusp of dating, though sometimes I think she knew I wasn't as into it as I should be. At this point, she was becoming more like my best friend. Look, it's sophomore year. You're not expected to stretch yourself as thin as you are. You realize that, right? LSU isn't exactly... They don't expect you to push yourself this much. And what are you talking about? What's coming back? You wouldn't believe me. Alright, so tell me. I swear, I won't just write you off like... like they did. She was referring to my high school friends, of course. The ones who now refused to talk to me for God only knew what reason. By the time I graduated, most people steered clear of me. Hell, I didn't blame them. I don't even know why Janelle stuck around like she did in the year and a half we'd known each other since starting college. I... I think that something is following me. He looks like me. Just like me. What, like a stalker? No, I insisted. The other little boy. She creased her brows. I don't understand. When I was little, my grandmother would tell me the story of another little boy that always lived around me, but in the woods. And she told me that if I didn't eat all my food or get to supper on time, he would eat all my food instead. If I didn't behave, he would take my place. Well, that's bizarre. Right? Well, I... I just thought it was a story she told me. But like, Janelle, I've seen it. I swear, I, I've seen him. He looks like me, and... Every time I feel him, he comes closer. It's... It's like he's been haunting me my whole life, and I'm just... I'm tired of it. 
That's what had you scared last week? I nodded. You came to class pale as shit. What happened? I was walking to class and someone was walking toward. I looked up and I saw myself, but it was... It was ugly. It was like me, only a corpse or something. I thought it was a hallucination and I closed my eyes and I turned and I ran and I... I mean, it almost touched me. I could feel it. I really could. Please don't think I'm lying. You're one of the few people I have left. And it's happening more now. And I don't know what I would do if I had to face it alone. She looked sorry for me. That was the last thing I wanted. What is it? I asked. I just... I don't know. It's a hell of a thing to happen to you. I don't disbelieve you. It reminds me of a story my grandmother would tell me when I was a girl. Of what? Grandma Oberlin called it a double walker. The ghost of a living person. She said that everyone has a twin. A double walker. And that one is good and one is evil. If you're the good one, that means the other is evil. And the evil one sort of preys on the good one. My stomach dropped. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. I don't believe in that legend for what it's worth. An old German grandmother's folktale, you know? It's not real. What if it is? What happens if you meet it? She bit her lip. Janelle, come on. She sighed and rolled her eyes. Fine. But don't say I didn't warn you. Basically, it's an omen of your own death. If you see it, then, well, it's over for you. They say President Lincoln saw one before he died. But, Luke, it's a myth. Folklore. These things don't exist. Well, it's real for me. It's an omen of death, and it's it's real for me. Well, that takes me all the way up to this past week, I think. Janelle started dating a guy from our business 2020 class, some dude named Mark, and honestly, I'm happy for her. She and I will always be best friends. I'm sort of regretting my decision to enter the business program, but there's enough time to change if I want to. Plus, I never would have met Janelle otherwise, and I can't imagine life without her now. I hated business, and the idea of going into business and then to law school like Dad wanted me to, but like everything else in my damn life, I plan to just do it. Be the boy they wanted me to be, not the other little boy. I was walking back from the gym, and it was dark, but hey, after spending half my lifetime watching the shadows, a little bit of darkness didn't really make much of a difference. The wind rustled and branches danced and leaves fluttered to the earth, even though it was only summer. The wind was cool on my skin, dried what little sweat remained from the treadmill jog, and for once I almost felt at peace. I hadn't seen or felt him at all. Of course, that changed when I was about ten minutes walk from my apartment, which was on the edge of campus. The air changed became fetid and cold. My chest heaved and twitched. I wanted to vomit. The gentle, dancing branches became savage and primal, and 
I was suddenly in the darkest part of a forest long forgotten. There was no light, so I ran and I ran. I think I ran forever and I might have screamed, but no sound came out. God, I ran until my legs nearly gave out and even then I pushed myself. The harder I ran, the more its hot breath grazed the back of my neck. It laughed and that dry voice of the grave called out to me, beckoned, invited me to join it. I couldn't. All my life I had spent running from a foul thing that through the years had edged ever closer. But now I was firmly within its reach, and if I didn't have one last burst of speed in me, I might never run again. But by some miracle, I made it to my apartment. slammed the door, locked it, and collapsed. It took a few minutes to find the lights, and when I did, the room illuminated and everything felt normal. My heart rate slowed, and I convinced myself, as I had done for many years, that it was all in my head. For once, I was glad I had spent four years in track in high school, despite hating it, and enduring the bullying from my teammates. Maybe it had saved my life. No. All in my imagination. It had not saved my life because I had never been in any danger. I repeated this to myself over and over and over until my breathing steadied and my pulse stopped, threatening to burst through my neck. I went to the bathroom. There he was, waiting in the darkness. He stepped forth from the shadows. The other little boy. And he looked nothing like me. His face was sollow, pale, rotted. Strips of flesh hung from his cheekbones, and where his eyes might have been, only black pits remained. Not sockets, but something unfathomably worse. Dried blood seeped from his eyes and nose and mouth. It was worse than any creature I'd seen in any horror movie. And he looked nothing like me. He was here, finally. The time had come. My omen of death had arrived. The evil twin. Is that what Janelle had called him? What do you want? It lifted a finger and pointed at me. You. What are you? I am you. You. You aren't me. I babbled. I don't believe in you. Your story made up by my grandmother to scare kids into behaving. You were never real. You don't exist. I hate you. Keep saying that. It flew with frightful speed and grabbed me by my neck. Say it again. The more you say it, the more I become. You are everything I never was. And I am everything you were meant to be. Hot tears stung my eyes. No. I'm not supposed to be like you. Why did you follow me all my life? Why? I just want to be left alone. Please. My anger had fled, and only fear and resignation remained. Though oddly, I wasn't afraid of him. Deny me all you want, but you are my double walker. 
and I am yours. You don't exist without me, and I don't exist without you. Deny me all you want. Deny me until I destroy you. You are me. I am me. Just me. Just Luke. Luke? His cold fingers squeezed tighter, and my windpipe began to give way. My vision blurred, and I wanted desperately to spit in its face. All these years, and this is what it would come down to? He'd find my corpse in a few days, probably, after I failed to show up for class. God. What would my parents think? Granny? My friends? I... am... not. Deny me until it kills you. Ugly. Not. My last words would never come out. The blood trapped in my head and the air in my lungs caused me to convulse, to twitch. And in that state, I saw for the first time a flicker of something in those dark pits it carried for eyes. Something familiar. When I saw the something, my expression must have changed. Because it softened its grip. You can deny the other little boy all you want. You can deny me until it kills you. I gazed into its eyes. There were eyes now, I think. And I saw a flicker of brown that looked like my eyes. I lifted my hand, not to defend myself, but to wipe away a tear falling down its pale, yellow cheek. When I did, my touch seemed to heal it. Grip around my throat lessened, and I could breathe again. I could talk. Why do you say I'm you? I am the you that you pushed away. Don't you get it now? Don't you understand why we double walkers kill? We don't kill because we want to. No. We kill because without us, you cannot live. And neither can we. His voice was clearer now. Something more akin to... Well, I, I guess my voice. I saw the pain in its face. He looked as hurt as I had felt for so many years, and I lifted my other hand to wipe away the tear on his other cheek. My own tears warmed my face, and I couldn't stop them. You... I can't imagine your pain, I finally said. I think you can. You feel it now, and I feel yours. Like I said, we're the same. I touched him on the chest. He was warm. I raised my hand to meet his, and his hands were warm, and they were alive. In the same light olive skin of my own. You are me. You aren't some other little boy. You're, you're just... Luke McMillan. No. I'm Luciano McMillan. My eyes practically fell out of my skull. Oh my god. He was me. I nodded. He was me. Part of me that my father's family suppressed with my help. Everything I wanted and felt in the deepest part of my soul. He was me. The boy was no longer hideous. He was the mirror image of me, but so, so much more. I looked at our reflection in the mirror and brought my hand to my mouth. He was not the hideous one. I was. I was a husk of myself. 
barest existence of what had once been me and year by year had been stamped out by my family and friends and myself. Your hair, I said, almost laughing. You've got a pink streak in it. Indeed, his full head of black hair was now streaked with pink. He laughed my laugh. Yeah, <laughs> we always wanted to try it out. I'm not sure I'll keep it. <laughs> I think you should. That'll be up to you. I think it's time for us to end this. Don't you? I don't think I want you to go. Don't worry. His eyes twinkled like mine hadn't in nearly 20 years. I'm not going anywhere. Just just promise me something. What is it? He put a warm hand to my cheek, and I think at that moment, all anxiety and fear and any doubt fled my mind. Be kind to yourself. So now, here I am, walking on the third floor of the ancient-ass student union that hasn't been redesigned since, like, the 1950s. I flip a bit of my hair out my eyes. The pink streak is gone. I replaced it with a darker blue because why not? And next to me, Janelle rolls her eyes and laughs. Thanks for coming with me, I say. Duh, you're my best friend. I don't think I've ever seen you this happy. I don't think I've been this happy. We walk around and look for the right room number. I find it first. Inside the room, there are about a dozen people sitting in a semicircle. They're all different, but each of them might make Granny's hair stand on end. I smile inside and I knock the door, biting my lip because I'm really fucking nervous. Oh, hi. A girl around my age with a shaved head and several piercings greets me. Her smile is warm and I feel at home right away. I... Uh, uh, hi, sorry, um, is this the LGBTQ student group? You're in the right place, I'm Adriana, we're just getting started. Great, I say, sighing a deep breath of relief. I'm glad I found you guys in time. What's your name? I smile. It's Lucian. What would you do if an invader slithered its way into your home and served you breakfast? What if it wore the face of a now-missing loved one? And what would you do if nobody believed you? Autotomy was written by Haley Piper and features Gabby Sabal as Lily, Nicole Penrod as The Stranger, J.M. Dow as Dad, Thara Rangan as Dr. Kowal, Ari Ryder as The Bystander, and Eric Little as the policeman. Until the April after I turned 10, I woke up each day to my mother's humming. Off-key, voice sometimes cracking, there was always a good morning song in our house. I used it to find her through my always dark world, and then I'd give her a hug that could burst the stars. On the morning without a song, I found a stranger washing the dishes. 
She didn't lean against the kitchen sink's creaking counter the way Mom did, and there was something else missing besides her hum. I waited until the sink water ran so loud that I could sneak past into the den without her noticing. Dad's morning toast led me to his chair. I smelled the strawberry jam. Where's Mom? Dad's newspaper ruffled. Mm, washing dishes. My words bubbled out, no forethought. There's a stranger in the kitchen. The newspaper folded as Dad lurched out of his chair, the recliner's gears screeching, and crossed the house. No one argued on the far side of the stairs. He came back after a minute. <laughs> you scared me. Mom's still at it. It's someone else. I saw her myself. What someone sees has always been more important than what I know. I couldn't explain my senses. It never came out right. She doesn't smell like mom. Dad gave a big bellyful laugh. <laughs> Lily, your nose could count spots on a cow. Maybe mom smells different today, but that's still mom. He didn't understand. It wasn't that mom had put on a new deodorant or perfume. The stranger didn't have the human scent particular to mom. She didn't have any scent at all. I went outside hoping mom would come dancing back from the pond or the grocers, the delicate way she always walked, to run off the imposter. Instead, it was a long, lonely day at the chicken coop. I listened to them scrabble after the corn I threw into their pen. Chickens have an overwhelming stink, enough to drown out many scents, especially a sense absence. That's how the stranger snuck up on me. The whining hinges of the chicken coop scraped my nerves. I waited to hear Dad's laugh and Mom's hum, but there was only the clack of the closing gate. Two dry, coarse surfaces rubbed together and then cracked. The stranger was breaking chicken eggs between her fingers. Runny yolk pattered in the dry soil. No chickens, she said. Even in the midday warmth, I shivered. Those were mom's vocal cords at work, but they were instruments in the hands of a novice. Mom, can I see you? I held out my open hands. Do you see with your fingers? Like we always do. My fingertips found the stranger's face. She snapped back. Dirty. Her footsteps, not dancing at all, sped toward the house. My hands grasped and released the air. Even in that brief touch, I recognized Mom's bent nose, sharp cheeks, puffy bags beneath her eyes. Identical, as if a plastic mold had been taken of Mom, grown from her. Almost the real thing. I spent that weekend avoiding her heavy, purposeful footsteps. My house became like the stranger, an intrusive imitation. The furniture arrangement hadn't changed, but I kept banging my hips against hard edges, and every touch felt alien. How could Dad not notice a difference? Didn't he ever pay attention to Mom? She didn't watch nature programs or do her chores in eerie silence. She never asked weird questions like the stranger, who snuck up on me by waiting against walls, still and quiet. How do I make more of you? I had nearly banged into her. More of me? More children. You have to get married. But I'm already married. 
Mom was married to Dad. The stranger wasn't married to anyone I knew. First, there's marriage, then babies. You have to wait a while and then it happens. There must be a way to speed up the process. I knew more than that. Sarah Pay told me things. I wasn't about to share with this stranger who visited Mom's pond but not to swim, or watched movies with Dad instead of talked to me so I wouldn't feel left out. Monday at school seemed almost normal and made me wonder if I was losing my mind. But then I'd think about the stranger's deliberate steps, her silence, her lack of scent, and no one on earth could convince me that that thing was my mother. She waited for me on the school steps where mom used to wait. I almost didn't notice, my cane making gentle arcs across open stone until it prodded her foot. You have a doctor's appointment. I couldn't argue. This was school. I was a kid, and I only knew the world I could touch and smell and hear. Everyone else saw my mother's face. I followed the stranger's footsteps along the dusty road. Right as rain. Dr. Kowal had finished checking me over. Usually, I joked about whether I could do Dad's crossword puzzles now if I was so healthy, but nothing came out. Not with a stranger standing next to me, saying strange things. How about her skin? Well, I'm no dermatologist, but her skin looks healthy. If you're worried about breakouts, I'd say she still has another year before the burgeoning adolescence comes roaring in. But you never know with hormones. They change everything, even mood, and they're never predictable. That is troubling. The stranger said it like Dr. Kowal had given me a year to live, which made Dr. Kowal laugh. <laughs> I didn't laugh. If I tried to explain my mother's absence, they would blame it on the changes inside me. Dr. Kowal probably couldn't explain how my adolescence would do away with mom's scent. I forced a smile and took a lollipop like a good little girl, before Dr. Kowal could diagnose my mood. Dad was snoring in his recliner when we finished the walk home, but the stranger shook him awake. I need the basement cleared out. He left his chair and brushed past me. She just wants it and you do it? Dad laughed, his first response to everything. Like language was a joke. <laughs> what she wants, she gets. Don't marry a man who'd do any less for you. Or a woman, either. An expectant silence stalked his suggestion. Whenever Dad joked over who I might like, Mom scolded him, said it wasn't a joking matter, and I had to be allowed to sort my feelings myself. Your father is right. The stranger waited for him to do her work. Dad paused. That was the moment he might have noticed something was wrong. But he walked to the basement, probably laughing inside until the concern gave up and left his head. From then, the stranger spent most of her free time in the basement. She was never late to walk me between home and school, only now she carried the basement's damp odor. At night, clanking metal pipes, clinking glass tubes, and a thumping engine sang me to sleep. Sometimes animals cried, I thought. But by the time I hurried out of my bed to the basement doorway, there was nothing. Her footsteps quieted so she wouldn't wake Dad. Nothing masked the basement's stink when it crept through my bedroom door one night. Downstairs, Lily. Sleepy, I wanted to argue it was a school night, raise hell with her. 
My mood was going to change. I was entitled to fights with my mother. Except no matter how sleepy I was, I knew this was not mom. This was a stranger, the kind of person I was supposed to tell grown-ups about, never speak to, never take her candy, yet everyone was okay with her. I had no say. Out of bed, through the house, down to the basement, fluid pumped through pipes and crackled on heated glass. A pounding piston hurt my ears. The basement scent was strong, but I smelled something new underneath. Hard to distinguish, like baby powder mixed with mustard. A hand in a rubber glove grabbed my wrist. Before I could yank it away, mealy warmth dotted my hand. The stranger let go. I rubbed at the space, smearing the grisly cream on my fingertips. Good. No burns. Bed. I climbed the railing back up the stairs. A knife could scrape away my hand's skin, let it slither off to its new life with the stranger's weird cream. I settled for turning up the kitchen faucet's hot water until it scalded my fingers. The cream washed away. The stranger worked through the night, loud machines stewing her strange gruel that wasn't supposed to burn. Dad called me to the den the next morning. The stranger was with him. So was the cream. Your mother cooked up this moisturizer for the dry days. <laughs> She's getting into witchcraft. I was starting to hate his laughter, the way his cheeks slapped wetly against his gums and teeth. More disgusting, I heard a sick gooey smack, the cream being squeezed between fingers and spread over skin. He was letting the stranger coat it across his back, and he was going to make me too. Don't hurt your mother's feelings, even if it smells like a hot dog stand. If a smile can make a sound, then I heard the stranger's smile. Yes, Lillian. Don't hurt my feelings. I wanted to scream, you're not my mom. Dad would have laughed before he scolded me. I wanted to run. They never let me go anywhere on my own, but I didn't care. Outside, across the dusty soil, past mom's pond, to places unknown. Instead, I rolled up my shirt. The stranger's rough hands plowed moisturizer down my spine like she was scrubbing the kitchen sink. I let her. I should have fought, but I didn't. Each evening, we did it again. Her stewing slime below, me and Dad letting her rub it into our backs. The itching started after three days. Not a surface itch like dead skin cells, but beneath. My skin felt restless, like it had better things to do than hang on to me. Something moved underneath. Something that wasn't my muscles and bones. Dad didn't notice. He said the cream made his skin look smoother than it had in years. I didn't ask to feel his face. If his skin felt wriggly under my fingers, I would have dug my nails into his flesh to tear it off. The itchiness settled, or I got used to it. Maybe that was the burgeoning adolescence. Dr. Kowal's prophecy come to pass. I didn't like to think my body accepted the cream, that restless feeling, any of it. I missed mom's scent, her humming. Maybe she couldn't undo what the stranger had done, but she could sit with me while it happened. But I couldn't even search for her. Our property was the gravel driveway, the fake lawn, the chicken coop, and the fence that bordered the backyard before the path to mom's pond. Every time I tried stepping outside that world, a hand pulled me back. It was never mom's. Don't wander. 
The stranger's grip was cold. I don't know how many times I tried. Even at night she found me before I'd set ten steps on the path to the pond. Her grip cold, she dragged me home, cane clattering on dry earth. The last time, she asked, What would I do if something happened to you? She would have to find someone else for her cream. You'd have dad. He's older. Dirty. Dad isn't dirty. Mom loves him. You'd know that if... If she was mom. We both knew what I meant to say. I thought she might hurt me. Instead, cold fingers stroked my scalp, my neck, my back. I shuddered away from her. Was she trying to show affection? That was only the first time. She started asking how school was going, if I needed new books, if other kids were good to me. At night, she took the cream to my back, less a sponge to a basin, more a mother's comforting hand to her daughter. She wasn't going to hurt me. Much worse, she was going to love me. Soon she took to humming while helping at the chicken coop, to walking in a dainty dance. Her speech's rhythm became familiar. I think that made me forget about the absence of scent, the past several weeks of strangeness. My brain let its guard down on my mouth. I closed the chicken coop. Thanks, Mom. Once it was out, I couldn't put it back. Maybe it meant nothing to the stranger, but I wanted to rip my tongue out and let the chickens peck it apart. With enough practice, there would be no distinction besides the smell. She would fill Mom's space in the family, her replacement so complete that maybe, someday, she would generate her own scent like Mom's. I think I imagined the whole thing as a kid, a side effect of my inevitable adolescence. There would have never been a stranger, just some silly, fearsome fantasy. That might be why I did what I did, not hope that mom could come back. It was shame and hate. The next morning, dad headed for work while the stranger walked me to school. After an hour, I left class with a bathroom pass, left school, walked home. The dusty road was a stable path I could trust. The piston was at work downstairs, the stranger with it. I crept through the house anyway. Dad kept his cell phone with him and the stranger kept mom's, unused, but we still had a landline. I called the police. If I said my mother had been replaced by a look-alike, they would have laughed me off the phone. So I lied to them, told them everything I could think of, that I'd been hurt, that there were drugs in the basement, that I'd been pulled out of school and was being kidnapped. I had to blame mom. It wasn't her, it was the stranger, but there was no choice. If I'd stopped to think, I wouldn't have called. But this wasn't about thinking. This was about mom, remembering her, risking forgetting her. This was about my hate for the stranger, and I was going to ride that hatred to its end, whatever shape it took. Dad used to worry I would fall down the stairs when I was little, but I understood their danger. Mom knew I did. The stranger knew nothing. She was surprised to hear me tumble into the basement, my cane clattering behind me. The basement air hung thick with odd odors. The cream was the worst in its raw form, whatever that might be. Be careful with that. Cold hands touched my arms. You could have heard it. 
Soft spots were forming over my limbs, and one shoulder ached something awful. They're coming! Who? I don't know. They're coming to take me away. I ran from school, but they're coming. The stranger stepped back. I wasn't sure she believed me until her frantic muttering began. There were words in her ramble, but not English. Dizzy from the fall, I wondered what the stranger would make of Braille. If her other language had a form from my fingertips. We're leaving. Her cold hand yanked me to my feet by my injured shoulder and made me cry out. Ah! We don't have time for shouting. Outside. Her nails scraped a glass container beneath her other arm. The crane. Wherever we were going, she wasn't done rubbing it on me. The sun had grown relentless since I came home. Sweat pulled down my back, made my shoulder ache even worse. The stranger kept on muttering to herself, interrupting and snapping as if a committee was in session, each member at odds with the others. Her mom-like composure ran slick down her arm and onto mine. Did you tell them about the moisturizer? Do they understand that if they take you, it could interrupt? She expected everyone to understand her ways without explaining them. I tried. They didn't care. I must have heard the car before the stranger knew it was coming. When it slowed nearby, her grip tightened. The engine stopped. A door opened. No police siren, but someone else. He wants to take you away? Here was my chance to calm my world, but I didn't. I nodded and let things happen. Excuse me, are you- The man thumped on the roadside. When the stranger snatched my arm again, her hand was warmer and damper than before. Was that the only one? I shook my head. Every word and gesture made the world a worse place, but I couldn't stop. The stranger led us off the road toward the barren fields. She must have liked it out there, where the sun baked away the scents, made the world more like her. I felt lost without my cane, my shoes teasing around pebbles and uneven earth. Behind us, another car pulled over. A bystander was calling the police. The stranger went back to her muttering. Ten minutes on, a heavy vehicle tore across the sand, the pebbles ricocheting off its bumper. Growling to a stop, the doors creaked open. The stranger pulled me tight to her side. This time, it was the police. Stay where you are. Hands above your heads. I couldn't. She wouldn't. She freed my arm and I should have run, but I was numb by then. My mind, skin, legs, everything useless. Glass shattered. Warm cream slopped across my shoulders, down my back. A sickening crackle spat chilly drops across my limbs. That was the moment the stranger stopped trying to be more. She was bursting open, air twisting as if making way for her. The wriggling, wet creature she really was. What I couldn't see. Close enough to touch, put a shape to, but I wouldn't. The wet sounds were already too much. She was too fluid for me to understand. I'm not sure the officers understood either, the way they started screaming. They could take all my senses right then. None of her shrieking, none of her musky taste, none of the damp runoff her limbs threw across mine. At last, she had a scent of her own. I've never smelled anything like that before. There's no food, 
place, person, dead or alive that can compare. Only a frosty alien mist. It hurt to breathe beside her. Guns fired, but that didn't stop the stranger quick enough to save the officers. Gurgling throats, falling men. Something happened between her wetness and their bodies, but I slammed my hands to my ears and rolled my thumbs over the canals to drown out the noise. Blind, deaf, damp, aching. I started screaming and didn't stop for a long time. Even when other people surrounded me, stroked my hair, wrapped a blanket around me, put me in the back of an ambulance, I wouldn't unclench my ears. Not until Dad's arms picked me up. I don't know how long that took. The screaming stopped and the crying started. I think I cried until I fell asleep. They kept me out of the investigation. I picked up bits and pieces. No one could figure out what the stranger was making in the basement, but I doubt it was baby powder and mustard. Dr. Kowal found no trace of it on my skin. That used to comfort me. Not anymore. Investigators only found soft, shriveled tissue beside the dead police officers, like a water balloon left to leak in the sand. The news said the officers died putting down an unidentified animal. Mom was declared missing, maybe killed by the same. They chalked up my phone call to a wild imagination. I said nothing. Let authorities invent their own story. Maybe that satisfied them. I have my own problems these days. People are dead because of me. The stranger's gone, but still, maybe I deserve what's going to happen. Dad developed a rash down his back. He figured it was sunburn. Eventually, the skin sloughed off in thick layers and he needed grafts, but after surgery he seemed normal. His laughter has died. I don't think his knowing mom was gone for those weeks we spent with a stranger would help any. It's best he thought that he had a little more time with her than he really did. Lucky him. Not so lucky me. They sent me to therapy for the trauma and my adolescence. I cooperated at first, but after a couple years, I didn't think it was helping. No matter how the counselors helped adjust my mood, they couldn't find mom, only make me feel better about her absence. I never want to feel better about that. Plain and simple, I miss her. I want her sent back. Maybe if she was here, I wouldn't be so scared. She'd listen to me and not repeat a word I say to anyone. I could tell her how I smell like the stranger's mustard baby powder cream now, even when I rake deodorant under my arms and drown my skin in lotion. I could tell her how I dream about the stranger, not disguised as mom, but the fluid thing she was at the end. I could tell her about the sight, not from my eyes but across my body, as if a million little nerves are poking from my pores. That restless feeling is back. My skin has had enough of me, ready to wriggle off my muscles and bones and walk to greener pastures where it can be its own girl. Part of me once thought it might be the adolescence again or the guilt, but not now. Soon, I'm going to find out firsthand what happened to mom. We won't be together, but I'll have answers before what happens to me happens. At least the itching should stop. 
I wonder if Dad will notice a difference this time. The dark lore of the doppelganger lurks from the shadows around the world. So whether you're haunted by your own ghost or stalked by an imposter, if you ever come across a double, you'd be wise to run the other way. Thank you to Matthew L. Reyes and Haley Piper for their contributions to this episode and to Max George of Scream Kings, Casey Lucas, VXN, Lindsay Holt, Gabby Sabal, Nicole Penrod, J.M. Dow, Ari Ryder, and Eric Little for their performances. Featured music was by Eric Matias, Blue Dot Sessions, and Kai Engel. Lastly, we are eternally grateful to our amazing guest producer, Ari Mathay. To learn more about our pieces, artists, and readers, please visit our website, monstersoutofthecloset.com. As always, shout out and thanks to our supporting producers, Lindsay Holt, Lourdes Kaland, Sarah Lopez, Andy Hunter, and Matthew Morrison. And of course, we couldn't do this without you, our monstrous listeners. Our next episode, Duel, will be released soon, along with some special Halloween bonus content. In the meantime, check out our musings on the macabre at monstersoutofthecloset.tumblr.com and at pod underscore monsters on Twitter. Until next time, Monsters Out.